Hi, everyone. So I was supposed to have a wonderful, thrilling interview for you to listen to with author Mark Hartzman. He wrote the best-selling book called Chasing Ghosts, and unfortunately, the audio was so corrupted, I couldn't save the interview. But this is still a great opportunity for you to win a copy of the book. And trust me, there's so many great things about haunted history and different paranormal haunted places like Eastern State Penitentiary. He talks about the Fox Sisters and so many things. I don't want to spoil the book for you. So here's what you need to do to be entered into the giveaway. First, download the Spotify Greenroom app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then follow myself at Lainey Hobbs and Mark Hartsman. All of these instructions, by the way, will be in the show notes. Then head over to Instagram and follow Mark Hartsman on Instagram. Once you've followed those steps, send me a screenshot of all of those things being met to hauntedpod at gmail.com with the subject, Chasing Ghosts. Be sure to include your name and mailing address, and I'm shipping anywhere in the world. So if you're in Finland or if you're in Canada or who knows where else, <laughs> wherever you are, I am happy to send this book to you. So I hope that you are so excited to read it if you are the winner. Okay, enough of the business. Back to the show. Welcome to It's Haunted What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. As a general rule, when we think about being watched by supernatural entities or spirits from the beyond, it's pretty terrifying, right? Who wants to be watched, especially when you thought you were alone? Well, maybe some of today's stories will have you rethinking that. While nevertheless terrifying to find yourself not as alone as you might have thought, Maybe fear is what we make it, and maybe being afraid isn't what our watchers intended at all. Okay, ready to get spooked? We're opening today's episode with a story from Sawmill Turtle. They come to us with a quietly chilling horror that starts out with the childhood home and turns into something much more sinister. I have a photograph of a house. From the outside, it seems to be some average, nondescript building. The kind of place that you'd likely find in any city or small town. It's not, though. This house is something out of the Twilight Zone or a Stephen King novel. You see, I lived in that house when I was 11 or 12 years old, between 1993 and 94. My room was the one above the porch with the double window, while my sister's room was across the hall and our mother and my brothers lived downstairs. During the time we lived there, 
strange things occurred. Some of them you may find hard to believe, and that's fine. I can only assure you that they actually happened. Some 26 years after the fact, I can provide you with no evidence and only my solemn word that everything I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. For starters, sometimes our clocks would run backwards for no discernible reason. We changed the batteries and checked them for defects, but nothing seemed to be amiss. They just randomly started running in reverse from time to time. There was also an issue with our basement. The best way I can think to describe it is that it seemed to be a portal to hell. We'd hear strange noises coming from down there that couldn't be explained away as creaking pipes or the house settling. We'd hear things like demonic growling and roaring. When someone had to go down there to do laundry, there'd be sounds like people whispering. The whole area had an unsettling feel to it. We had a dog at the time, a German shepherd named Lassie. She was an exceptionally brave, loyal, and protective dog. But even Lassie wouldn't go near the basement, or even the basement door. Eventually, she was so terrified that she ran away. She never came back. One night, we all woke up to find a large blackbird, a crow, or a raven in the house flying madly around. It was an ungodly hour of the morning, so no one would have been awake to open a door or a window to let the bird in. There was no way that an intelligent bird like that would willingly fly into a human dwelling like some common sparrow would. Where did it come from and where did it go? I have no memory of us getting the bird out of the house, but I I never saw it again. Then there was the man. At the back of the house was a hallway that led towards the lower floor bedrooms. The twins, toddlers at the time, had their nursery in the rearmost room on the left. They would sit back there and have conversations with someone that none of us could see. They referred to this person as simply the man. The man seemed to enjoy keeping the boys company, but he was anything but benign. One day, while the rest of us were at school... My mom had the twins in their high chairs, feeding them lunch. When she stepped away to do something, I don't remember what she had gone to do, there was a crash and the sound of screaming. One of the twins was on the floor, his high chair tipped over, and he bashed his head really hard. The high chairs had been secured on flat footing when my mom had put the twins in them. When she asked the other twin what happened, he simply replied, The man did it. My brother ended up in the hospital in a coma for a long time. You'll be happy to know that he survived and today is married with two beautiful daughters. But Child Protective Services didn't believe that my mother was innocent and began to investigate us. They would park across the street from our house and watch us and drop in unexpectedly, looking for reasons to take us into foster care. Ultimately, this is how we ended up leaving the house. Rather than deal with any more tragedy, weirdness, or being followed, we packed up what we could and moved across the country. What we couldn't take with us in the moment, we left behind. I asked my mother once, about five years before she died, if she'd ever actually seen the entity the boys referred to as the man. She said she had, but only once. She said she was walking past the kitchen door one day, 
and had caught sight of someone in her peripheral vision. It was a tall man, wearing dark clothes, standing with his back to her, staring out of the kitchen window. When she turned properly to get a better look at him, he was gone. That house terrified us all. It always made us feel like we were being watched. Thankfully, it is many years and many miles behind us. When we left, there was no one to pay the mortgage on the house, so the bank took possession. Because of this, today it is privately owned by people I don't know. For that reason, I will not disclose the location. I won't even tell you what state it's in. If you're ever unfortunate to stumble upon it, however, I advise you to keep walking. Don't stop to look, because I can guarantee if you stop to take a look at this place, there's likely something you can't see staring back at you. I feel like I've talked about this before, but there's something about the knowledge that children and animals can likely see things we can't that's just so unsettling. And that story and this story definitely hits all of those creepy beats. While I'm glad you and your family got out of this situation, I have to say I'd love to know if anyone else who moved into that house has any terrifying tales of their own to share with the show. Our next story comes from I Hate Pinewood. They've also got a childhood story to share, but this time, we're cranking things up to the next level, with a twist ending that will have you laying awake tonight for sure. When I was 10 years old, my grandfather passed away, leaving the old family home to my mother. It was an old Victorian house that has been in our family for over a hundred years. Behind the house was a plot of land that was mostly a forest full of trees. Now, at 10 years old, I had a huge imagination. I decided this forest would be a great place to go exploring. As I was out there, I ran into another little girl. Politely, I said hi to her and asked her her name and where she lived. She told me her name was Kay and that her house was close. It made me happy to have another kid my age to play with, and so that's exactly what we did. For an entire year, Kay and I were best friends. We played together after school and on weekends. The only issue we ever had was that Kay only ever wanted to play in the forest. She never wanted to go anywhere else. But since I was just happy to have a friend, I didn't question it. Besides, I liked playing in the forest. Unfortunately, my other grandfather got sick around that time. He was given less than a year to live, and our family moved back to be with him for his final days. When he finally passed over, over a year longer than the time he'd been given, my family eventually moved back home. After we came back, Kay never came over. Days and weeks went by, then months. Still, no Kay. Eventually, I moved on and figured that she'd also moved away while we'd been gone. It wasn't until 15 years later that I figured out who Kay really was. My parents had decided to move into a retirement community, and they left the house to my fiancé and I. About a week after moving in, I was going through some old family photos. There, in a photograph, was my mother as a girl, 
my grandparents, and another little girl, Kay. It was absolutely Kay in that photograph. I was sure of it. And I was completely freaked out. I took the photo to my mother, demanding an explanation, but not telling her that the girl in the photo looked identical to my childhood best friend. My mother sighed and told me that she'd never wanted me to know. That our family had a bit of a dark past. She told me that the little girl in the photo was Catherine, my mother's sister who went missing when she was ten. No sign of her had ever been found, even 40 years later. Lore within our family said that they suspected another family member, who later completed suicide, was the one at fault for Catherine's disappearance. This messed me up for a long time. I tried my best, though, to move on. Unfortunately, wildfires would eventually destroy most of the forested area in our backyard, a while after I'd spoken to my mother about the photograph. Thankfully, our house had minimum damages, but the forest was burned beyond repair. We decided to clear out the land and made a terrifying discovery. While digging up one of the tree trunks, one of the construction workers found bones, human bones. We called the police and an investigation was opened. It was determined that the remains belonged to Catherine. She had died apparently not long after she'd gone missing. Now, all I can do is wonder, is this why Kate only wanted to play in the trees? Could she not leave? Or did she want me to find her body? And if so, why did she never tell me? This story sounds like it could come straight off a movie set, there's a lot of possibility in moving into an old home or even into an old area, especially a forested space. There's really no telling what sort of dark secrets a forest might hold, and it looks like you found that out the hard way. And I am so, so sorry for Kay's loss and your family's loss, but hopefully now she's been put to rest. This episode is brought to you by Posh Peanut. It has quickly become my favorite clothing brand for my little girl, Tilden. And now I have the opportunity to offer every listener that signs up 10% off their first order. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, then enter code Tilly at checkout. That's T-I-L-L-Y. When you place your first order and have your little one in their cute Posh Peanut outfit, be sure to use the hashtag Posh Peanut and tag me, True Crime Fan Club Pod, so I can see how cute your little one looks in their new posh peanut. Once again, click the link in my bio and enter code TILLY, that's T-I-L-L-Y, at checkout to get 10% off your first order. Our next story is from Band One. They've got a tale that needs to be heard to be believed, and it might make you wonder about who's really watching us as we go through our everyday lives. I need to provide some background. 
in order to tell you this story properly. It was 1993, and I was then, as I am now, a medium that banishes evil spirits and demons, rather than connecting people with departed loved ones. Back in that time, I was extremely busy, and I'd acquired a guardian angel. Her name was Abigail. I knew she'd been with me for a few weeks, maybe a month if I'm remembering correctly. At around 2 a.m. one night, I got up to go to the bathroom. I stepped into the hall and looked to my left. Standing there was a full-bodied apparition. She was transparent but solid enough to notice most details. She had long, flowing hair, wearing an old mid-1800s type lace nightgown with a matching bed jacket. She is still with me, even though these days demand for my services has mostly dried up. Believe me when I say, she is a force to be reckoned with. My reputation would precede me. As soon as I'd walk into a house, evil spirits knew who I was. They'd throw things at me, knickknacks, books, whatever they could get their hands on, to get me to leave. At one house, after the small items had come flying at me, with Abigail blocking every last thing that tried to hurt me, she looked like she was made of pure magic standing in front of me. The next thing I knew, the recliner was coming at me, and then the couch. Abigail just took a step back and waved them past us, dropping them down where they were. Next, the refrigerator came flying around the corner of the kitchen, straight for me. Abigail held up her hand, and it stopped. She wagged her finger at it and pointed towards the kitchen. The refrigerator slowly returned to its spot. The cord even plugged back into the wall. This gave me time to do my job and banish the demon. It was difficult and it took everything I had to overcome it. My angel is still with me, but I hadn't seen or heard from her in a long time. About seven years ago, my son was about five or six years old. One night after we'd gone to bed, there was a terrible thunderstorm. My son Aaron is terrified of thunder. Neither my wife or I woke up during the storm, and we didn't hear him crying in the night. The next morning, I was in the kitchen making coffee, when my son came in and said something along the lines of, Daddy, the thunder scared me last night. Where were you? I'm sorry, buddy, I told him. I didn't wake up, so I didn't hear it. I didn't know you needed me. It's okay, my son reassured me. That lady rubbed my back all night so I could sleep. I blinked at him. What lady? The lady that came through the window, he said simply. At that point, I was ready to freak out. Did a woman really come through his window? My son is autistic and never lies. I asked him what the lady looked like and he told me she had long hair, was wearing a pajama dress and coat, and that he could see through her. I immediately knew who he was talking about. Later, when I was on my own, I called Abigail's name and asked her if it had been her. I needed to know for sure. She materialized in front of me, smiling and told me that yes, it was her. I was so happy knowing that she was watching over my son. After the things I've seen her do, I never need to worry about him. In fact, last week he was in the yard with a friend tossing a ball around. I suddenly had a bad feeling. I often get premonitions. I started to head out to where the boys were. Just as my son was about to throw the ball, he jumped. A poisonous cottonmouth snake suddenly flew through the air, 
coming from exactly where my son had been about to step. And just for a split second, I saw my angel. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about how we never know who might be watching us. And that tends to have a more sinister tone, especially when you're in the kind of context we're in, in our little haunted business. But sometimes, just sometimes, maybe being watched isn't such a bad thing after all. Our final story today is from Breezy. Their story about being watched is also a little less sinister than you might expect, but no less terrifying to have to face alone. The week before Christmas, after my grandpa died, I stayed the night with my grandma after we'd gone Christmas shopping. My grandma was still taking my grandpa's passing hard, and I'd been trying to help cheer her up. We'd just gone out to do more shopping for wrapping materials and to McDonald's to grab some takeout for lunch. When we got home, we ate and watched Christmas movies until my mom was due to come and pick me up. I guess all that shopping wore her out because halfway through the movie, my grandma fell asleep. Sitting there with her, I started to think about my grandpa. We'd been really close and his passing had hit me hard, but I was trying to be strong when I was around my grandma. I missed him a lot and I actually didn't want to stay over at my grandma's as much as I used to. Being there brought up all these memories of grandpa and just made me miss him more. I never even went into his bedroom anymore because it made me too sad. While my grandma slept, I tried to pay attention to the movie, but all I could think of was my grandpa and all the fun things we'd usually do for Christmas and how I just wanted to see him again. Suddenly, the room started to feel cold. At first, I thought it was just a draft, but everything started to feel heavy and very quiet. The clock stopped ticking and there were no car noises from outside. It just felt like the world had stopped and that all the color had faded away until everything seemed to be gray. My whole body broke out in pinpricks, and it felt like someone was watching me. When I looked up, I nearly screamed in shock. There in the doorway that led into the hall was my grandpa. He was just standing there smiling at me, wearing his favorite cream and brown pinstripes short sleeve button-up shirt blue jeans, brown belt, white socks, brown loafers, and brown glasses. The only thing different was that there was this kind of glow around him. I sat there frozen for what seemed like an hour before I started to stand up. I don't know why, maybe to hug him or maybe just to touch him and see if he was actually there. I don't know. But the second I got to my feet, he was gone. The world went back to normal with all its regular sounds and color, like someone had just hit the unpause button on the universe. I stood there in shock for a second before I realized I was crying and went to get a tissue. An hour later, my mom came and picked me up. She and my grandma talked for a bit, but I stayed quiet, debating on whether or not to tell them what had happened. I decided not to say anything to my grandma just yet, 
but on the car ride home, my mom noticed I was nervous about something, and I ended up telling her everything. My mom was so shocked, she had to pull the car over. She asked me like a million questions, mostly if I was positive about what I saw, and each time I told her, yes, I was. I described the whole thing to her over and over. I started to cry, and she hugged me to calm me down, starting to cry herself. When we calmed down, she told me that it was going to be okay, but that I should never tell my grandma what I saw. After that, I still visited my grandma, but I no longer went by myself, and I never stayed overnight again. The weirdest part of it all was that even though I was freaked out, part of me wanted to see him again. Breezy, I think that we can all agree that there's a degree of comfort in thinking our loved ones might be around to look after us after they're gone. At the same time, however, I think it's not too much of a stretch for me to say that maybe it's best if they don't do it in a way that's going to scare us like this. I know that for me, after losing my brother and my husband's mom, having a baby was sad at some points because I wish that they were here to see her and that she was able to meet them. But somebody once told me that a part of your soul when you interact with another person, is attached to them too. So when they leave and they go on to the great beyond, the afterlife, whatever, that they take a part of your soul with them. So you're on the other side with them as well so that they're not alone. And then when you cross over, your soul is complete again and you have all of those shared memories of when you were earth side and on the other side too. So I take great comfort in knowing that and thinking about that, that if my family members who have passed away had any part in giving me my daughter, then they did a great job and I can't wait for us to all be together again on the other side. Okay, well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcast or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance by Rebecca and Aaliyah Lopez. Writing assistance by Meg Williams. The official composer for the show is Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Audio engineering provided by Chez at Gray Multimedia. Check them out on Facebook at Gray Multimedia. Until next time. Did you hear that? <laughs>